Welcome, everybody, to another episode of A Conversation With here on Keyboard Kimura. I am your host, E. Spencer Kite, as always, joined today by someone I have come to get to know over the last couple of years as he has helped me out with the Coach Conversation series. Someone who, before that, I admired for the work that he did in this sport as a striking coach, formerly with Elevation Fight Team, currently with Easton Jiu-Jitsu and MMA, I believe is the official yep, yep. team name. Yep. He is Sean Madden. Sean, thank you for doing this, man. I really... Glad we're able to finally get this together. Yeah, it's it's been a, 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 a kind of a long time coming for this one. Um, and I, like I said, I appreciate your patience with it, um, getting our schedules together. But yeah, I'm excited to chat today, man. Uh, it's always good talking with you. Of course, getting the schedules together. Listen, as, as somebody whose life revolves around my schedule, but my schedule revolves around other people's schedule. <laughs> moving stuff around and and no one will eventually get to it is is how I live my days. That's how we will start how we always do. Sean Madden, when did you fall in love with combat sports? Oh man. Um so that's a that's a great question. Um I started watching MMA um in like 2003, I want to say. Um and really loved it then. Um you know, we we bought kind of the pay-per-views and and tuned in pretty religiously then and so yeah i guess 20 years ago now the saying it uh, makes it feel like quite a bit longer um but yeah 20 years ago i think is when i really started paying attention to mma um i didn't start training until 2008 so there was kind of a five-year gap there um when i actually dove into the sport um and started practicing martial arts but yeah around 2003 i'd say is when i started to tune into mma okay so this is surprising to me and this is a great starting point because I would have thought you were one of those guys that would come on here and I ask that question and you're like, so the Karate Kid and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and I was in it since I was six years old. Yep. You only got turned on to this 20 years ago, only started training like five years after that. So 15 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. This isn't as long of a journey as I, as I had anticipated in my mind. Yeah. Yeah. And I know you talked to Elliot and I listened to that, um, you know, your guys' conversation too and, and, and that's kind of exactly what you just described with him, right? He's been in it a really long time and came up in it. You know, I didn't, um, you know, my, my initial kind of like my initial athletic backgrounds were never in martial arts. Um, now, um, I guess on the weekends, you could say I was, I was a troublemaker and I was fighting recreationally, uh, you know, like in, in the parking lots, at, uh, you know, in parks around town, and causing trouble. Um, but I wasn't having any formal training until like 2008. Yeah. So, um, we can get into that a little bit more, but yeah, I never really had a, a formal training in martial arts that went back into my childhood. You know, we don't have to get into the, the fighting in parks and parking lots <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. because we, you know, I don't know what statues of li- statutes of limitations are in different <laughs> places around the United States. And it's always better. Those are the conversations we have off camera. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, good point. But in terms of getting into martial arts, what was then the, the entry point? You said you were watching UFC events. Was that sort of the catalyst of, hey, this looks cool. Let me go and do this. Uh, it, it wasn't, but it planted kind of a seed, you know, for, for later on. Um, so I had actually played, uh, lacrosse in high school and then ultimately a little bit in college. And then when I transferred, I, I did a, a year, I did three semesters in San Diego. Um, and then that's actually where I started a little bit of, of Muay Thai. And then I ended up transferring back to Colorado and stopped playing lacrosse. I was kind of just I was done with it. I wanted something else, you know, and then like this seed was still in my mind of like, 
oh man, you know, like I, a friend and I found Easton and we were like, oh yeah, this sounds like a good switch of, you know, change of pace. And we went in, um, you know, Dwayne Ludwig was teaching there at the time, um, you know, and he was kind of like in the middle of his career then. Um, and we went in and, and we checked it out and we actually funny, fun, funnily enough, we, we had a bet. We we're like, you know, we'll see who makes it the longest, who's going to train the longest. You know, I was like, okay, cool. You know, and, and sure enough, um, my friend and his brother, they stopped training maybe after like six months, you know, um, and credit to them. Say, you, you, you won that bet pretty handily. Yeah. <laughs> yeah Unless so. they're like still training and it's like, man, yeah. we're still going and I'm, I'm coaching cause I need that 20 bucks. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know? So, um, yeah, you know, uh, I just wanted to kind of change pace. Uh, like I said, you know, watching MMA for uh, a period of time before that, I was like, okay, you know, I've, I've watched this, uh, I really enjoyed watching it and following it. So let's go give it a shot. Um, and, and, uh, yeah, so I switched over, you know, and started training and, and, you know, really haven't looked back since then. So from an MMA space, you coach, you're essentially known as just a striking coach. And I don't say just a striking coach in a like derogatory way right? Yeah, I, yeah. of the disciplines you yep. focus on striking, but I know primarily discipline for you, passion, love, focus, and additional coaching with USA Muay Thai is Muay Thai. What made Muay Thai the thing that really hooked you in? You know, I don't really know um, because when I first started, I did jujitsu too. Um, and uh, I trained for maybe about two years uh, with in jujitsu. And, and I think part of that was because of watching MMA prior to that, you know? Um, and at the time, um, the, 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 Easton slash grudge training center kind of fight team. They were training at Easton a couple of days a week. They were running practices over there. Leister bowling. Who's a former coach with elevation fight team, you know, and, and um, you know, obviously coach Trevor Whitman at grudge um, a mall Easton. And, and those guys kind of had this back and forth training schedule, you know, so guys like Elliot were training then Cody Donovan, Brendan Schaub, Dwayne Ludwig, George St. Pierre, um, there was like this grudge try, uh, even try star Jackson's yeah. like this, this Alliance, it was really cool. Um, you know, and I was around those guys at that time and, and was like, Whoa, this is crazy. Um, and they were coming into Easton. And so I was like, yeah, naturally I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, do some jujitsu and some Muay Thai. Um, I think it's kind of the same reason that everyone ultimately gravitates to either one or the other, uh, at some point, you know, I think I just Muay Thai felt good to me. Uh, I enjoyed it. I, I really love the concept of it, of, of striking, of playing the chess match on the feet, um, of making like split second decisions. Um, and that's not to say I don't really enjoy jujitsu as well, too. I actually really like watching jujitsu and studying it. Um, the way my injuries have accumulated over the years doesn't lead jujitsu to being as kind to my body. Um, but yeah, I, I enjoy watching it as well, too. But for whatever reason, I decided to kind of uh, go all in on Muay Thai. And so how long from, hey, this place called Easton looks good, let's go in, let's make this bet, to I'm going to take a fight and I'm going I'm to do this Muay Thai thing and this is going to be a career pursuit? So that, that, that I think was a couple different stages. I trained maybe for about a year, pretty, pretty casually, you know, and casually is maybe three times a week, four times a week on a good week. And then I remember one of the guys that I was training with um, had a fight coming up and he said, Hey, you know, I have a fight coming up. Uh, I'm going to do, you know, I'm putting my training camp together and this was over our summer. And he said, we're going to, we're going to train early in the morning. And he's like, do you want to train with us? I was like, yeah, sure. No problem. Um, and so I started training 
you know, pretty, pretty hard and pretty consistently to help him get ready for his fight. Um, and, and, and that kind of opened a new door and a new level to the sport to me. And I was like, Oh, wow, this is awesome. You know, um, I think I probably want to fight sometime on my own and try it out. And <laughs> the way Dwayne was back then was, you know, he was fighting still. And, um, and so I don't, me now going through that cycle of I was fighting and coaching at the same time. And now I'm done fighting and now just coaching, I can look back and understand his train of thought for everything. And he was fighting at a much higher level than I was. You know, I asked if I him if I could take a fight and he's like, yeah, sure, whatever. You know, like you're going to go do a fight in two weeks, you know, and, and what it was was a smoker at a gym. Um, but it was like very informal. You know, um, he didn't it didn't mean anything to him and it shouldn't have, you know, ultimately at the end of the day, it was just a smoker. Um, he's like, yeah, you're going to go down and you'll train for two weeks and then go beat the shit out of this guy. I was like, all right, cool. <laughs> you know, and uh, I did. Uh, and, I, and I was like, awesome. This is great. You know, uh, yeah, I want to do more of this. And and that was just kind of his approach to to coaching athletes at the time because he had to focus on himself more than anything. You know, he had th- at that time, um, I think he was in the UFC at 2008. I can't remember. Maybe just, yeah, probably, probably right in the feels, yeah. feels like it was right around there. Yep. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think he was kind of in the middle of his UFC career then. Um, you know, so his, his focus was not developing athletes. Um, his focus was himself. And if some of the athletes could be training partners for him, he'll use that for that. Um, and, and so I totally understood that I did a lot of the training on my own and with my teammates and training partners at the time and didn't have a ton of guidance as like an actual fighter, um, which kind of led to a mediocre fight career for me, which is totally fine. Um, because I learned a lot that way. Um, yeah, so I, I kind of, you know, I took fights along the way. Um, you know, I got some good opportunities. Um, and then, you know, at some point I w- you know, I-, I was fighting still, but I was like, Hey, you know, like I had some injuries. I really, really liked coaching. And then, you know, I think we ended up kind of just making that transition over. Um, and, and here we are now. So, yeah. What, what plants that seed of, I like coaching, like what kicks that off? Cause I know for some people, the idea of coaching is antithetical to their being the idea of putting myself second or guiding someone else rather than focusing on myself just doesn't compute. But then there are also people who are naturally drawn to it. And from the relationship we've built from even just people that follow you on Twitter and Instagram, I think they can see you are naturally built to be a coach and a motivator and an inspirational sort of person in someone's corner being like, Hey, let's get you to where you want to go. What was it for you that sort of kicked that off or like gave you the understanding of like, maybe this is the road for me. Yeah. You know, uh, I I touched on it a second ago and, uh, you know, (laughs) like I said, I was, I was a relatively mediocre fighter, you know, like I had a slightly above 500 record. Uh, I, I fought tough opponents, which is awesome. And I really enjoyed fighting because it's hard, you know, um, but I, I never really set out to be a world champion. I never had goals in the sport of really getting to a certain spot. I just wanted to fight to test myself. So um, in my experience and opinion, I feel like a lot of mediocre fighters become great coaches. And I'm not saying I'm great, but I, I do I do historically look back at that and, and see that, you know, if you're a great athlete and a great fighter, you're pouring so much into yourself as you should. Um, that you're not thinking about anyone else around you. And th- and that's that's totally fair. You know, I think we hear this all the time, right? But to be a high-level athlete, and especially a fighter, you have to be 100% selfish 
and a high level coach and elite coach has to be hundred percent selfless to their athletes. So um, I felt like for most of my fight career, I was kind of like in the middle of that, of like, yeah, I was, I was training myself and I was getting ready for fights, but I was also helping the people around me at that time. So like I had kind of like, you know, I had two buckets at the same time. Right. Um, and, and I was like, you know what? Uh, I felt fulfilling helping other people out, um, you know, imparting the little knowledge that I had at the time and, and giving them some stuff and, and, and seeing that kind of work. Um, and I was like, yeah, man, this feels fulfilling to me. Not that fighting wasn't fulfilling, but it, it was something that I wasn't going to pursue for a long time. You know, I enjoyed, like I said, I enjoyed fighting because it was hard and I learned a lot about myself. Um, I didn't set out to be a world champion in fighting. So um, for me, it was a relatively easy transition um, and the injuries helped facilitate that. You know, it, it, they kind of forced right. my hand to to go into coaching. Kind of tell you that you can't keep doing the other. Yeah. Thing. Yeah. And, you know, maybe sooner than I would have liked. Um but that's okay. You know, ultimately it ended up working out just fine. Um, but yeah, I, I, I didn't have too hard of a time making that decision for myself and I feel much more fulfilled helping other people, um, kind of achieve goals in this sport and, and, and do things well beyond whatever I accomplished as an athlete, you know? So, so there's a couple of pieces there that I want to dive into the first one though. The first thing I need to say is you are a fantastic coach. You I won't say it. it. I will say it. <laughs> I, I will say it, it for you. you. Thank you. You mentioned in there that you never set out with that mindset of I'm going to be a world champion. It's a thing I think about literally every day as I talk to athletes, as I watch stuff, as I consume content, as I sort of build. Because to me, and I joke about it all the time, right? When, when we're watching UFC events and they do the intro thing and it's the guy that's three fights into his UFC career and is one and two and talks about you know, I'm on, I'm on the brink of making a run here and I'm going to get, and I just always tweet out something along the lines of like, this is why I couldn't be a, a, a pro fighter or a fighter in general, because my mindset would be like, nah, I'm going to be 74th. Yeah. <laughs> and like, somebody's got to be 74th. Yeah. But to yeah. me, for me in that, in that instance, it's a healthier mindset. Yeah. It's a healthier understanding. It's a more realistic as a coach who has been through the fighter side of it. How do you work with athletes where you recognize and go that goal you're setting may be a little high. Do we work to scale it back? Do we just manage what, what's the process there? Yeah, that's a great question. And I've, I've been through this a, a, a ton of times. Um, and you know what, look, I'll, I'll say this too, because it's, it's through, it's to no fault of the athlete. They're, they're, they're you know, especially in this sport, you have to have almost, um, you have to be almost delusional, you know, right. um, you're, pathologically you're getting, confident. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, like, and I don't blame them for that at all. You know, um, it is the, the job of the coach, um, and, and maybe to some extent, maybe the manager to, to say, okay, we hear your goals. We understand that we support that. Um, but we have to be the ones that are realistic. And, and like you said, we have to carve a path to maybe try to get there, you know? So in my mind, if I have an athlete who's let's just say maybe they have, they're like three and three, right. Or like five and three. And they're like, yeah, I want to be world champ. Um, for me, it's like, okay, well we have to win a couple of fights on the regional scene first, right? Like we, we can put together a path to get there, but you have to hit these benchmarks along the way. Right. Um, and I'm going to, I'm going to do my best to help you achieve that goal. Um, but if we don't hit these benchmarks, if we're failing at some of these benchmarks, 
Okay. I'm hoping that us failing at those is going to allow you to realign your goal a little bit, you know, cause what I don't want to, I don't want it to be binary for people of like, I'm going to be a world champion or I'm not in the sport at all. Right. Right. Because um, you know, like, like I said, my, my career as an athlete existed as, Hey, look, I want to fight cause I want to test myself, but I'm not going to be a world champion. I did that. So um, there's a space for people to, to be able to do that. I don't think everyone has to believe that they're going to be world champion. You're, you're not going to train any less hard just because you're not going, you're not, the goal is not the UFC title belt. Right. Um, I think for a lot of people it should be. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just not, it's not realistic for everyone. It's not realistic for everyone. There's, there's people in the UFC, I believe still that I have, don't have aspirations for the UFC belt. I think they're saying it because that's what people want them to say. And there's right. pressure that's what to you're say. supposed to say. Yeah, exactly. That's the narrative, right? Yeah. Um, and but, like, I want to, I want to be clear. And I think anybody that follows my stuff and has listened to various podcasts and interviews I've done, I'm the chief of the being seventh in the lightweight division is outstanding. <laughs> being 23rd takes a great deal. Like there is room for all of these people. We need them in the ecosystem. I don't think it has to be your first or your last. I, there's no Ricky Bobby mentality for me. Yep. I yep. think we need those people. And so it's always fascinating to me. And and I appreciate getting the insight from you as to sort of working with somebody that's at those points. And, and you mentioned the benchmarks. I think that is such a important part of it. And, and a thing that we miss sometimes in talking about these athletes, whether it's somebody coming up, whether it's somebody kind of resetting, trying to go on a run is like, what are the markers that they've hit along the way? What are the indicators that we have that we can look at and go, these are the things we've seen from people that have gotten to these points mm -hmm. or are on their way to those points. How does that person measure up? And not everybody's going to compare out evenly, but it is that indicator. Do you do stuff like that? Do you work with stuff like that when you're working with some of these athletes of like, not a comparison because that's a difficult thing to always put yeah. against somebody, but like, let's just look at some of these markers. You, you mentioned we got to take some fights on the regional circuit. Yeah. I know when talking with safe regularly, he often talks about the LFA titles that they've won yeah. at Fortis MMA yep. of like, if we can get to that, we know that's a certain level yes. and that's going to graduate us to the next one. And once we get there, we know what guys like Jeff and guys like Ryan Spann and whoever else have gone through to have success and do let's hit those rungs on the ladder. Is that sort of the, the yeah, approach? Exactly. Exactly. You know, let's, let's put a couple wins together on the regional scene. You know, let's get an LFA contract or a CFFC contract, right? Something fury maybe, right? Can we win the, the title there? Okay. We win the title. Maybe we get a call up. The next step for me is like, can you get through your first UFC contract? Right. Can right. you, can you finish your first UFC contract? Cause there's a lot of people that don't do that. Right. It's a lot easier these days, in my opinion, to get into the UFC now, but just based on, on the entire kind of ecosystem right. and, and how they operate their business. Can you get through your first UFC contract? Can you get through your second UFC contract? Okay. Now we're, now we're, now we're talking. All right. We're right. in, we're eight fights deep, right? right? Now are right. we fighting someone who's, you know, uh, what maybe people would consider the top 20 of that division. Right. Um, and, and then we can work our way from there. So I'm going to give an example that I think fits this really well. And, and this is not any slight on this person, Drew Dober, who I love dearly and is a phenomenal athlete. You know, he's, he's had a couple fights in, in the top 10 in the top, he's floating in that top 15, right? 
Um, the fights that he's had in the top 10, he's come up a little bit short on. Um, they've been fantastic performances. He's, in my opinion, and, and I've heard him say this too, he's an entertainer. He yeah. loves fighting. He loves it. You know, he lives for it. And the UFC knows that. And they give him the matchups that are going to pair with that. And every time Drew Dober fights, everyone is tuning in for it. And he's getting a bonus, or they're both getting a bonus. Drew's killing it in life, man. He's killing it. Does he <laughs> right. want to be the champion? I don't know. Maybe. Right. But I know for sure that he loves to entertain people. You know, and Drew to me is is the perfect example of that. Yeah. We need dudes that are number 16 in the lightweight division. Right there. And are always entertaining. If if things break right, he's in the top 15. He's chasing top 10. Yep. If they don't, well, we had a hell of a time watching it. He seems like everything's going fine. As I often say with Drew, at the end of the day, he's still ridiculously good looking. Yeah, like, he's always got that, right? He's always got that going for him. So like, that's better than most of us. And so, yeah, he's a he's a perfect example. Too. Yeah, and you know, look, a lot of this is circumstance too. And, and look at the division he's in. It's insane. Yeah. It's absolutely insane. You know, yeah. it's stacked. The top 25, the top 30 of those guys are all monsters. And so it's just on any given day in that division, you know, and it's just who you end up with, the the timing of the matchups um, for that division, for him to be a name in that division, as long as he has been to put on the fights that he's put on, you know, has he fought for the UFC title yet in that division? No, he hasn't, but he's made a, a great living doing fighting the way he fights. He entertains the hell out of the fans and he loves what he right. does. You know, um, man, to me, that's a massive success. That's a yeah. massive win, you know? And it's, to me, it's a thing we don't talk about enough. Like, and yeah. I under, I understand very much that this is sport and competition and we look to champions. We, we value greatness. We, we value that success higher than most things Yep. in MMA and, and generally everything. But there's also that like, okay, but you know this dude's really entertaining yeah. and sure he didn't get there and the record isn't clean and it's not 15 and one in the UFC or what did you have fun watching this guy's career? Did he enjoy himself? Is he happy doing what he's doing? Then why can't you be, why are you out here saying, well, Drew Dober isn't yeah. There's some things he's not, but there's a lot of things that he is. And exactly. Shouts, you know, shouts to Drew Dober. I, yeah, big time. And I think that's something, and I think that's something that he takes from, and I also borrow from, from kind of the Muay Thai uh, side of things, right? Where you see a lot of guys in the stadiums right. in, in, in Thailand, they have 200, 300 fights to their name and, and, and 50 or 60 of those fights are losses, right. right? They lose a lot, but the people there are more concerned about the performances and the effort that you put into the fight than the result itself. You know, right. um, people, in Thailand, largely are very unhappy if you put on a lackluster performance, right? Or or maybe you just edge out a win by points, right? Um, but if you put your heart into the fight every single time over there, the, the result matters less. Drew comes from a Muay Thai background, right? I come from that Muay Thai background and, and I do, you know, we've had this conversation before, but I feel like some of that mentality kind of trickles into how I approach the, this side of the sport as well too, even though they're very different. Right. For you as a coach, what are some of the keys for you what are the the things you focus on the most with athletes when you're starting out and building that relationship of yeah we're going to work together but these are sort of the if you can't get on board with this these are the Sean Madden tenants sure and if you can't get into it this isn't going to work 
Sure. Um, man, I'm, I'm, I'm really meat and potatoes with how I coach, um, <clears throat> you know, kind of one of my main principles for, for Muay Thai and for striking is like 85% fundamentals and 15%, maybe some flash or some unpredictable stuff. And, and that's how I largely approach all of my training. Look for me, first and foremost, if you can't be on time to my training sessions and by on, on time, I mean, early we're not working together. Like that one for me is, I don't care who you are. I've worked with people who, who have made a lot of money in the UFC that are high profile that have been interested in working with me and they show up 30 minutes late. I get, get the fuck out. I just, I, you know, I'm sorry. I, I don't operate that way as a human being and we have to make sure that we're on the same page starting with that, you know? So I, I, to me, I'm, I strongly believe in how you do anything is how you do everything. And so if I see these athletes coming in early, setting the tone for their workouts prepared right when the time, when it's 11 o'clock and you're ready to rock because you got there at 1030 and you warmed up the right way. Cool. We can get right to work off of that. Right. Um, that's a big one for me. That's a really big one for me. Um, I know other coaches have different philosophies on that and that's totally fine. Um, I, I like to be punctual. I like to be, you know, um, really focused on the small details um, and, and that one matters a lot to me. So we, we start with that. Can you right. be on time? Um, and then can you be okay doing, um, the little things, the boring things every single day, you know, um, especially in a sport like MMA pad holding it to me is kind of like this weird thing a lot of fighters want pads. They want to hit mitts. They want to feel good. They want to feel fast and sharp. Are you okay? Just jabbing for 30 minutes, right? And making sure your feet are in the right spot. Right. You're making sure your, your defense is built into your offense. Are you making sure you're understanding the nuances of the jab? If you can do that, right? And and maybe not even me holding the mitts while you're doing that. Maybe you're just shadow boxing that. Maybe you're doing it on the bag. And then at the back end of the session, once you've understood that, then we're going to get on the mitts after that. If you're cool with that, we can work together. If you want to hit mitts for a workout and to feel fast and sharp, I'm probably not the guy for you. Um, I believe in, especially in the MMA space, um, like, like everything, you know, you can get into MMA without any barrier to entry uh, at, at almost any level, right? Like manager, athlete to some degree, coach, right. whatever it is, right? Um, there's a lot of pad holders in this sport, which is great. You need that too. And then there's a lot of striking coaches and, and I'm doing my best. I want to be a, you know, right, a striking coach, not just a pad holder. Um, and I think a lot of, like I said, a lot of MMA athletes like pad holders because they make them feel good. They make them look good. They get a, they're sweating and there's this concept of working harder and MMA is better. Um, so yeah, man, if, if you can, if you can go the first couple of weeks of just working on the basics and not getting bored with that stuff, um, and, and trusting the process and, and, and not getting caught up looking at Instagram of what your, your friends and teammates are doing of these 35 piece combinations, spinning this striking that cool then we can work together you know and, and there's going to be a time and a place for that but it's down the road um i'm a really strong believer in fundamentals winning fights um positioning winning fights um little things like that and and that's a big part of my coaching philosophy so um if if you're cool with that uh we can work together we can be in the trenches together but if you want anything other than that then i'm, I'm probably not the coach for you yeah one of the things i have written down here is chop wood carry water every, every day, day. Every, every day, day. Yep. Every single day. You mentioned the pad holding thing. It's always been a fascinating thing to me because I think it is very much a way that fans and observers, even media, and, and certainly you can tell me fighters and coaches, and, and probably I won't argue with you. 
you get lost in seeing it, right? Because as you said, it looks great, but a good pad holder can make me look good yes. on pads. Anyone uh, can make me look like I know all of what I'm doing and I got nothing, <laughs> right? Like, yeah, I could throw, a, I can throw a bad jab. I can throw a bad cross, like sure, but get somebody that knows how to hold pads and come forward with you and give you everything. They make me look great. Yep. And then I got that on my IG reel. <laughs> and so I appreciate the commitment, the focus to fundamentals and, and the basics and getting that dialed all the way in. Another thing, and I mentioned it earlier, anybody that follows you on Instagram, that follows you on Twitter, will see the, I don't even want to call them motivational posts because I don't think they're motivational posts. They're, to me, life posts. Yeah. Just directives, yeah. just messages. And they're often mindset focused. Yep. I know you post a lot about stuff you're reading in that area as well. What for you has made that side of things such an important focus, both personally and professionally? I think it's just been kind of an accumulation of the experiences that I've gone through in the sport. And, and then also just working, you know, as kind of an employee at Easton, um, you know, a couple of years ago, I want to say maybe 2000. 17 or 18 or so you know like uh i was in a, a position at easton where i i was trying to work my way up a little bit and i was kind of stuck and you know um elliot and then mike who's our, our president and ceo here you know he had a conversation with me and said hey man look you you need to read more you know like you just need to develop yourself a little bit more and at the time i wasn't reading anything you know i was studying the sport but i wasn't reading anything and developing myself as a person uh, and he basically you know he gave it to me and said hey look you need to read these things if you want to progress further with us. And I was like, okay. And, you know, I reluctantly read them and, you know, reading and just the act of it kind of changed my whole perspective on things. You know, um, it, it forced me to grow as a person. Um, it forced me to look at things differently. And I'm, I'm really grateful for that. And, you know, I've, I've continued to challenge myself by reading all the time ever since then. Um, I think that paired with just the experiences I've had in this sport, both on the Muay Thai side and the MMA side, watching coach and athlete dynamics, watching team dynamics, watching teammate dynamics, and just kind of seeing this stuff over the years has just given me a perspective and given me some, some, some understanding on some things. I, I don't think anything's anything that I post is, is groundbreaking or earth shattering there. These are not giant revelations, but to me, they're just kind of reminders of what I see in the sport. Um, what can make you successful if you choose to do them. And, and if you don't, that's fine. That's up to you. Um, but they're just kind of like reminders of things that I've come across over the years. So a lot of it, you know, has been through maybe bad experience um, or things that I did wrong as an athlete or even as a coach, um, things that I fucked up. Um, so I've learned those lessons the hard way, which I'm grateful for. And I like to just share and remind those things with people um, and hopefully they can connect with them. So, um, yeah, I just, I just like putting that out there there, you know, at the end of the day, the reminders for myself too, right. when I post those things, I'm accountable to them. Um, my athletes see them, um, and other coaches see them and, and I have to be held to that. And something that I really, really value across any space is consistency, consistency in your word and your actions, whatever it is in your lifestyle. Um, and so for me, when I post those things, you know, I have to be accountable to them as well too. So what were some of the books on that early reading list and what are some of the recommendations you would have for people that want to sort of follow that similar path, not necessarily of coaching, but just of 
opening their mind a little bit more, getting some of this insight, some of these thoughts to maybe stimulate further growth in their own careers. Sure. Um, well, one of the first ones I read, uh, actually, maybe not one of the first ones, but one of the ones that was very impactful impactful for me was uh jocko wilnick's extreme ownership um and i know that's look that's not everyone's path or their cup of tea um but just the concept of understanding that you have the ability or you can look at things of hey everything is my fault and i can own everything that i do and i think if you have that mindset you have the power to change a lot of things as well too um instead of having kind of this passive victim mindset of uh, you know things are happening to me and I feel bad for myself. If you learn to start to kind of own your own your own shit and be accountable to what you're doing, uh, I think your life can change pretty drastically. You and you can really get a hold of things that are happening. So that book helped me a lot. Um, it, it taught me exactly what I just said, and 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 helped me learn to take accountability on on the conversations that I was having, the actions that were happening to me, around me, for me, um, and just really changed my mindset. Um, so that book in my opinion, is is kind of a must read for everyone. I think that one's really important. Whether you like Jocko or not, in my opinion, is irrelevant. Um, I think you can still take the message and appreciate the message. Whatever your thoughts are on the person who wrote the book, to me, doesn't matter. I read a lot of books. Um, sometimes I know the author, I disagree with the author as a person or maybe what they've done outside of writing the book. And I try to just separate that from the content inside right. of the pages. And I think having that perspective is really important. Um, Brene Brown um, wrote a couple of really great books that we talked, and I'm looking back at my bookshelf right now, just to get a quick refresher, what we got over here. She wrote a couple of really great books um, about kind of like being, being vulnerable and being able to have kind of candid conversations. Um, that one was a big one for me. I think fighters struggle with, with being vulnerable Um just, just in general, and and that's a byproduct of the sport, right? The you you have to protect it's, yourself. It's not just fighters. Yeah, exactly, right? Yeah, it's it, not just fighters. All of us in general struggle. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I do think fighting kind of like really magnifies that, and certainly, you know, like, um. So, so that was reading her books was was a good breakthrough for me. Um, and of course, a lot of the stuff that I post, uh, you know some of the stoicism stuff, Ryan holiday, ego is the enemy. The obstacle is the way, uh, the daily stoic, which I, which, which is a great read, a short read daily. Look, you don't have to subscribe to stoicism. Um, you know, you, you, you can believe whatever you want to believe, but that helped me just learn to be a little bit more, um, not so up and so down with everything that happens in life. You know, and I do think that's really important, um, for, for fighters too. Uh, we know this sport, everyone says it, the highest of highs, the lowest of lows. That's absolutely true. Um, but if you allow yourself to to kind of get moved by every single event that happens in this sport, uh, it's really difficult. And right. not only for the athletes, but the coaches, because the coaches corner every single weekend, right? right. The athletes fight maybe right. three times a year, right? But a coach has to deal with a big win last weekend and then a massive loss the next weekend and then maybe another loss and another loss and then back to a big win. So um, for the coaching side, I do think some of the things from stoicism can be very helpful just to learn to na navigate those, those peaks and valleys as you go. Big Brene, Brene Brown fans in this She's house awesome. as well. Amazing. Awesome. And listen, as, as I said, vulnerability is a thing that everybody struggles with. I loved one of the posts that you had was have him have, difficult conversations yeah. just learn to have them i think it's something we all need to do and and that's a message that 
can can extend well beyond the walls of MMA. Agreed. So having covered all of this coaching stuff and philosophies and ideas and things like that, and and knowing, as I said, that you are a terrific terrific coach. Thank you. Guiding world-class athletes at all levels. How humbling, how difficult is it to go from work and get home and have Humphrey and Wally just be like, nah, man, I ain't listening, I ain't listening to anything you say. Oh, man. Yeah, you're exactly right. You know, come home from a, a day of work with the fighters, you know, maybe come, come home from a big win overseas, right? We come back, walk in the door, see them. Wally's peed on the kitchen floor. Right. Humphrey doesn't even acknowledge me after being gone for a week. Um, yeah, man, I love them. Um, they're fantastic. I, you know what? To be honest, I, I, I never had dogs before these two. Uh, growing up, I didn't have dogs, um, and so these are kind of these are my first two dogs uh, between me and my girlfriend Abby, um, and we got we got Humphrey at the end of February, twenty twenty. So two weeks before, two weeks before everything. Right. So he's, you know, he got all the attention in the world right. uh, when right. we couldn't do anything other than spend time with him. And, and he spoiled as a result of that. Um, and we got Wally a year later and, and we always joke, we got uh, Wally is Humphrey's dog. We got him for Humphrey. Right. Um, you know, so, but man, they've been, they've been incredible. Um, look, I, you know, just like, you know, uh, with, with your dog, they've, they've taught me so much about life uh about putting some of the stuff that i read into practice every single day um they really test me with that stuff um but i i couldn't imagine life without them i look i i know this is true probably for a lot of coaches um and i don't have kids yet but if left to my own devices i would only focus on combat sports every single day every single hour i don't have other hobbies i don't do anything else um, I don't, okay, so, so that, that knocks off one of the questions that was upcoming. I don't, I don't do anything else. Um, I don't have any other hobbies. I live in Colorado. It's beautiful. I never go to the mountains. Um, I don't, I it's, you know, sometimes it's embarrassing to say because everyone else has hobbies. I don't do anything else. And if, if Abby left me to my own devices up here, I would just be watching fights all day, every day, studying, networking, talking, game planning. Um, you know, so to have the, have the two dogs and obviously my girlfriend, Abby, um, they provide a nice balance to life and they force me, you know, uh, with whatever the dogs are doing to be a little bit more present and take my mind sometimes off of, um, you know, the fights and whatever's coming up. So, um, it, it's, an unintended benefit of having them, but it's a really profound benefit and it's helped me a lot. Yeah. As you said, I, I fully understand because if not for, we have to take the dog out. Yep. And we're now in a situation we actually had our dog get out on Saturday and go oh. into an altercation with another dog. So now we have to be super oh, vigilant about some stuff. Yeah. And get him to open free spaces for walks and muzzled in the whole Is he night. okay? He's okay. The other dog is okay. Just okay. hella traumatic Saturday yeah. afternoon. My niece and nephew were over. Like oh, just series of series of gates left open literally yeah. and figuratively yeah, yeah. But like you could never in a thousand years this is never going to happen this way again yeah the timing of everything but just like it's oh it's God. been it was a weekend yeah it's been a few days <laughs> it's yeah it's it's I'm been rough he, i'm glad they're okay they're yeah. both okay good but like if not for him i would be in the same spot of you as i'm in here 
I'm doing work. I'm building stuff. I'm creating stuff. I'm working on thumbnails. I'm researching. I'm figuring out the next thing. And then I'm watching fights. Yep, exactly. And if and if not for him and the fact that I need to be the one that makes sure that the that there's groceries in the fridge because my wife works and she helps provide for this life for me, we'd just be doing takeout all the time. Yep. So, yep. Yeah. I, I understand dogs and partners as greatly beneficial. There's no other hobbies, nothing, no special skills, no, no secret abilities. Like, can you cook? Can you dance? Can you sing? Nothing. No nope. fights. That's it. I can cook enough to feed myself and, and sometimes Abby likes it, you know, I'll cook enough to survive. I, I'm telling you, man, you know, and you know, part of it is the fact that I'm, you know, in the grand scheme of things, I'm 34. I'm not, I'm not uh, an older, more experienced coach. Right. When you look at the guys like Elliot right. or, or Cody Donovan or, or Eric Nixick or Henry Hooft or safe, you know, these guys are in their mid forties and they've been doing it a long time. And, and, or Mark Montoya. Right. And, and these are on, on the weekends. These are the guys that I'm competing against. Right. So in my mind, sometimes it's like, I, I don't have the luxury of taking time off because these guys have a decade of experience on me for the most part. And I have to make sure that every time that I can fill a gap or try to catch up to that, I'm going to do that. You know? So the time that I lack maybe in experience or age, I'm making up with um, by obsessively studying film, watching fights, game planning, trying to stay on top of everything. So um, that's how I look at it. And it's not like I'm trying to necessarily, my goal is not to be better than those individuals. I look up to all of those guys, right? And the fact of the matter is I'm never going to catch up to them in age. Uh, There's always going to be a 10 year gap there, right? So I have to remind myself of that. They're always going to have more experience than me. Um, but I do like the ability of just having something kind of in front of me that I'm chasing. Right. Um, I watch those guys work every week. I admire all of their work. Um, and I want to be like them. And so I chase after that, you know, and, and I think that's kind of what drives me is, is seeing what they've accomplished, knowing the, the knowledge and skill sets that they have, the athletes that they work with. Right. Um, that's where I want to go. And, and so every opportunity I have to try to narrow that gap, even if it's by this much, I'm going to take it. This is where I will do the right, but you're also 10 years younger and competing on the same stages and mm-hmm. alongside of them. So please make sure to give yourself some of that <laughs> grace and some of that I, kindness. I forget of like, that part. Yeah. 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 We all, we all do. We all, yeah. I understand completely. Yeah. I've found from my experience uh, doing the coach conversation series, which is just over a year old at UFC.com. Thank you greatly for always being a part of it. My pleasure. That there is a, tremendous amount of respect and camaraderie within the coaching fraternity. Yeah. What is it like to be a part of that and be able to look to some of the people that are in Colorado that you're close with, Mm -hmm. obviously Nick six, some of these other folks and just get guidance, have mentors, pick brains, have those conversations. Cause for me, it's one of the things that I've always craved in life always sought out in life and value greatly, even just from my perspective as a writer and as a media member, what's it like for you as a coach in there to have that group of people and build that rapport in those relationships? To, to be honest, it's incredible. Um, and it's something that I really, really value in the sport and something that 
um, I really look forward to, um, you know, to have access to those guys. And, and to be honest, I don't know what it's like in other sports. I don't know what it's like in the NFL or NBA or, you know, like, I don't know if other coaches communicate like that, but man, look after a big win or after a hard loss, one of the first few people that always messaged me, it's like Tyson, Tyson will always send me a message. Right. Um, and congratulate me or, or maybe console me or give me some words of encouragement. You know, same thing with Eric Nixick. We always communicate. Um, you know, Trevor is always a, a text or a phone call away. Like to have access to people like that, minds in the sport like that, that are at, literally at the forefront of the sport um, with the knowledge they have, it's it's really incredible. And it's humbling for me that I have even the access to those people. Um, there are some coaches that aren't as accessible. Uh, or they don't choose to make themselves accessible. And that's totally fine. I don't hold that against any single person. Right. Um, the fact that people at that level open themselves up and are totally cool with having discourse, bouncing ideas off of each other, you know, for like when I go to Vegas in two weeks, I'm a hundred percent. I'm going to be going over to extreme to talk to Eric. I'm going to go to syndicate and meet up with John Wood. We're going to talk, we're going to exchange ideas. And, and man, we might meet, right across the cage from each other a month after that. And, right. and that's never an issue. You know what I'm saying? Because I think we all understand the bigger picture here. We all understand the role that we're in. We, we are able to kind of empathize with each other about the, the, what we go through as coaches. And the goal is to make all of these athletes better. It's not about us at the end of the day. So for us to share this knowledge with each other and our experiences with each other, man, it's really, really valuable to me. And it's something that I really hold dearly to myself and, 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 you know, I'm, I'm really happy with that part of the sport. One of the through lines through this conversation so far has been your desire and work towards always improving, always getting better, always learning more. You are somebody that on fight nights, when you're not cornering, when you're not coaching, when you're not abroad coaching and, and able to sit and watch fights, you are constantly mm -hmm. asking questions. And one of the things I know you've really sort of gotten interested in over these last several months is the judging is the scoring is that side of things. And I know you're going to the ABC conference here mm -hmm. in a few <clears throat> weeks. What has made you want to really focus in and learn more about that and take the step of going to the ABC conference, which for me is still a thing that I want to get to. Yeah. And a thing that I think is vitally important for coaches commentators media yep. fighters themselves so what was it for you that made you go this is a thing i need to get to um you know <clears throat> i think it's i think it's two pieces one like you said my goal is to always learn more my goal is to be the best educated coach around because that's only going to help the people that i work with right so um if I know the most that i can about this sport i can i can pass that along to my athletes and hopefully that gives them a better chance of winning and succeeding. Um, the other part of it is, is this, is that, like I said before, I do value consistency with words and with actions um, for as good and bad as Twitter is. Um, it's an interesting place. <laughs> I think you can agree with me on it's, that. It's the best terrible invention ever. Exactly. Exactly. Um, look, there's just, there is, there is a lot of complaining about, about judging and refereeing and, and I can stick my hand up and say, I've been part of that. You know, I, I, I don't hold back my opinion on Twitter, but that being said, if there's an opportunity for me to go learn more about it and ask questions, I think um, anytime you have a complaint or a criticism 
or something like that, if you're not providing some type of solution to it as well, then you're just noise um, and you're just part of the problem. So for me, I see the ABC here. I, I heard Mike Mazzulli multiple times uh, put the offer on the table. If you're a coach, if you're an athlete, come to this for free, right? We're going to have you there. Um, and so I said, awesome, cool. I'm going to take him up on that, you know, and um, to be fair, it took a little while to get through to him and to have that correspondence get started and shout out to everyone that helped me with that um, and kind of get the ball rolling. But, you know, I talked to him, he said, I can come, we're good to go on that. So I, you know, I was like, you know what, you know, I paid for it out of my pocket. Um, Easton's not paying for this. My fighters aren't paying for this. This is something that I want to do for myself and for my athletes and for the sport as a whole. I'm going to go learn more. And I promise you, I know for a fact, I'm going to learn something there. Right. You know, I don't know what it's going to be. Um, and maybe it reaffirms what I think about the sport already. Maybe it changes my view of the sport. I'm open to either of those. I'm not going to go there with any preconceived notions or, or an opinion stuck in my head. Um, I'm going to go learn as much as I can. I'm going to ask questions. I'll be respectful about it. Um, you know, but I, I, I'm going there to learn. I'm going there to learn. Um, at the end of the day, this is a sport that I'm in at the highest level. And I feel like I owe it to my athletes. I feel like I owe it to the space to just go out there and, and represent and, and learn as much as I can. If I'm going to be an active participant in this industry, uh, it's in my best interest. And I think everyone's interest that I'm as educated as possible. Otherwise, you're just a talking head. I can tell you right now that I'm going to clip that portion. And that is going to be one of the clips from this show that goes <laughs> out because I think it's, we laugh and we chuckle, right? But to me, it is a thing that I try to talk about regularly. It's a thing I try to hold myself to. If I don't have that background, if I don't have the understanding, one, I'm going to go try to find it. Yep. I'm going to try to get it. I'm going to ask the people I need to ask. I'm going to talk to whoever I need to talk to. Two, I'm going to shut the hell up until I get it. Yes. Because, you know, we obviously judging and scoring of fights has been a thing that we've been talking about for years now on end, most recently with the Brandon Moreno, Alessandro Pantoja fight. Yep. And there's a lot of how could you possibly, how did you, how many of those folks have sat through a judging course exactly have sat through have, have even read the scoring criteria. And I know this yep. is Sean Sheehan's always constant one, right? It's three pages long. Yeah, exactly. It's not a hard read. Yeah. It's it's pretty straightforward and then it's all right there and then you can do supplemental <laughs> things to to further understand it. But like for me, I've done that course. I've passed that course. Yep. And so, and I've talked to judges. I have relationships with you know, people on that side of things. So when I sit down and do it, I feel like I'm coming from a place of knowledge and that's where I always want to come from and so I commend you for taking those steps. I want to see more people do it. I hope more people take Mike Mazzulli up on that offer and just in general further educate themselves. Because as you said, if you're not, you're just a talking head. You're just a loud voice shouting into the wind. And, and there's plenty of that already. Exactly. Exactly. And look, like that's not to say that there's not merit to these opinions and, and arguments, right? We, we know 100%. that hundred percent. We know that, right? There's, there's plenty of issues in this sport, but you know, if, if you're going to take action, if you're going to say something, Let's put some substance behind it, you know? So uh, like I said, yeah, I'm going to go out there. I'm going to learn as much as I can. I know for a fact, I'm going to learn something new. Um, and then, you know, when I say something, I hope it has a little bit more merit to it, you know, and I hope the people that hear it, that need to hear it, take it a little bit more seriously. And, and ultimately I hope maybe I can help impact some change in this sport. Um, you know, it's probably uh, we're planting a seed for a tree that we're not going to be able to, 
enjoy the shade of, right? But I'm okay with that too. Uh, it's the same thing that I'm doing with USA Muay Thai, right? We're, we're planting seeds for generations that are much further down the line. Um, I'm okay with that, you know? Um, but I do want to help impact change um, and do it the right way. And, and this is the first step. You have to take action. You cannot just talk about it. So um, yeah, this is, you know, and it's not like I don't, I don't want to be some type of <laughs> like martyr or, you know, like, yes, I am paying 100%. for it, but I'm putting my money where my mouth is. That's right. exactly what it is. No one's sponsoring me to go out there for this. I'm doing it from my own pocket with my own time away from my athletes so I can learn more so I can help them and hopefully have a more educated opinion on what's going on. As we get towards the end of our time, and I, I thank you greatly for, for doing this today. We've talked a lot about the path to where you are. I want to shift to future and, and forward thinking. Sure. As a striking coach, as someone who greatly appreciates and works in the striking arts, what do you see as sort of the, the next evolution of striking in MMA? What's the next piece of the puzzle that you think in the next two years, three years, four years is going to go from being less prominent now mm -hmm. to the thing we're talking about every single weekend. And man, I can't believe people weren't doing this or utilizing this more, more often and sooner. Sure. Sure. Um, in my mind, there's, there's two. Um, and one comes, I think for, well, they, they both obviously have, I have reasons for one, I think is what I would personally like to see, but I also, what I would expect to see is a little bit more fluency in, uh, clinch positions inside of MMA. So people being a little bit more comfortable there, engaging a little bit longer, finding their weapons a little bit more there. We're starting to see it a little bit, right. But, you know, obviously the first one that comes to my mind is Matt Brown. Um, I trained with him for a while when he was out here, I watched him fight for a long time. He's a prime example of that. And I still do think that there's quite a few gaps in MMA um, in, in the standing clinch positions with the weapons in particular. Um, that's something that I would really like to see develop a little bit more. And yes, that's my Muay Thai bias coming in uh, on that side of things. Um, but I do think, you know, to me, the, the biggest part of MMA is, is the transitions and, and clinch in my opinion is a transition. Um, and I, I think that we will see some more fluency in that area, um, in the next couple of years. And I'm personally really excited for that. So there's a lot to be explored there. Clinch on the fence, clinch in the open, um, upper body transitioning to lower body stuff. Um, there's a lot, a lot of the ton of areas that you can explore there. Uh, so I'm excited to see that, you know, hopefully come about the other one, which we're starting to see already, but, um, not in a way that I think maybe people are doing or intentionally or with purpose behind it is, is being more fluent in both stances and being kind of more of just a fluid fighter overall. Um, I think that's a big difference between Muay Thai and MMA. And I think in MMA, given the rule set, given the weapons, all of that, it makes more sense. And there's a lot more opportunity. And I think as people start to train that more and understand the opportunities available, it is going to be something that we see more common commonplace in the sport um it's not going to be just one-sided fighters uh, what i like to call they're going to you know they're going to be bistantial and they're going to be able to fight out uh, out of both stances uh, you know um just as effectively you know and that's something that um i i that seed was planted long time ago when i trained with Corey for so many years and his coach christian allen 
you know, that, that, that is how Christian trained Corey from the get go. Um, Corey was naturally right-handed of course, but from day one, he was training out of both stances and, and you can see how he fights now. Um, he's, he's effective of course, in both stances, both hands, both legs. Um, and I think we're going to see a more natural evolution towards that in MMA in the next couple of years. I don't think we're fully there yet. Um, but I think we're going to work towards that. Corey, of course, bantamweight contender, Corey Sandhagen, yep. who started, I believe as like a 13, 14 year old was sort of his introduction. And so has a nice little long run up of working on that both stances Yep. as a coach. How do you sort of start to implement that with people that didn't have that forever build like Corey did where they're naturally orthodox or naturally Southpaw. How do you work to build that? And then is there a like, now we're not going to unveil that yet. We're not ready to pull the trigger on it. Or is it yep. just as you feel comfortable, go and use what you can use. <clears throat> yeah. It's, you know, for me, depending on the stage of the athlete's development, where they're at, Normally what I'll do is I'll just take bits and pieces of the other side. Right. So if they're a right-handed fighter, um, th this is a perfect example. We watched Alec Vol Volkanovsky uh, against Yair. He throws his inside low kick from Orthodox and he pulls that leg all the way back to Southpaw. And then he fires off of that to create a new angle and, 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 and change the distance a little bit too. That one to me is like super easy, bite-sized, very effective. Right. So just taking small pieces. A lot of the times what I'll do is, okay, we're going to, we're going to, create a transition from right-handed fighting to left-handed fighting. And then we're going to capitalize on that new angle. And then we're going to get back to our home stance after that. So we're going to, we're going to start as a righty. We'll throw the inside low kick, come back to lefty. We'll attack off of that. And then we'll get back to righty right after. So just teaching them to get one to make, to learn how to make the transition and hide the transition with a strike. And then understanding just a basic piece of offense off of that transition and then getting back um, to their home stance. I, I personally believe most athletes, at least the ones that I've worked with, you learn your strong side offense first. If you're right-handed, you learn how to attack as a righty. Then you master your right-handed defense. And then you work on your weak side offense. And then you master your weak side defense last. That's always the hardest thing for people to get is right. defense in their weak side stance. So I try to get them to spend as little time in that stance as possible. Create the opportunity, attack, and then get back to your home stance where your defense is better. And then over time... It's learning to stay in that stance a little bit longer, being a little bit more comfortable with it. And then we can blend into, okay, we have offense and defense from both sides. Before I let you get out of here, what are the next few stops on the schedule? Who are the next couple athletes we will see you in the corner of, whether it's UFC or abroad, and then let people know how they can can follow and, and pay attention to everything that you've got going on. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Um, so I have, like we talked about, we have the conference coming up in two weeks. So I'm going to be out there. Um, and I'm, I'm excited for that to, you know, Nick sick is going out to that too. Um, and we're going to, we're going to talk and network out there. And, and so I'm excited for that. If anyone's going out there, uh, for that, hit me up, let me know. And I'd love to sit down have a coffee and chat and talk about the sport. Um, and then after that, my main focus right now is, uh, my guy, Boyan Vlitschkovich. He's in uh, Octagon MMA. Um, if you guys haven't heard of Octagon, man, they're, they're killing it over there. It's a fantastic promotion. One of the, it's weird to call it, I guess, a regional promotion, yeah. right? Because Europe is um, it's one know, of the you know, things I struggle with when I talk yeah. about them or KSW yeah. or anybody that isn't like the UFC Bellator one level yeah. that people identify. It's like, it's not fair to call them a regional promotion because they're massive. They're massive. But 
yeah that's how we so, look at it from north american bias yeah exactly you know but um yeah so he's in he's in the middle right now of a 16 man welterweight tournament over there um he's had he's he's had two wins so far this year in that tournament so we're down to the semifinals um he's he's fighting david kozma who is a rematch from a couple years ago and kozma was their long-standing welterweight champion um so if he wins this fight which is october sorry september 16th in frankfurt germany he'll be fighting in the finals um on the other side of that bracket is uh lewis glissman from denmark who's a fantastic jiu-jitsu black belt and high-level wrestler and then um this name you might be familiar with his name, andreas uh Michaelitis, i believe yep. from greece he fought Pantone, uh uh Poetan, yeah yeah Poetan in the ufc and he's been on a really really great tear over here in octagon now he's kind of found his home there so uh yeah we have our hands full the rest of the year with that um but the winner of that comes home with 300,000 euros, um, which, man, outside of the big promotions, you're not seeing money like that being thrown around very often. Um, so, man, this has been a fantastic kind of like end of career for Boyan. Um, we've done 26 professional fights together. Um, so we have number 27 and 28 coming up. And that's going to be kind of my main focus for the rest of the year. We're getting ready for Germany, September 16th. And then it'll be a quick turnaround for December 10th, right after that. So, um, yeah, that's, that's my focus. Um, and then, you know, a couple of amateur Muay Thai events here and there to cap off the rest of the year, but that's going to be kind of what the rest of my year looks like. Okay. Two things before I let you get out of here, you mentioned sitting down for a coffee, not a Starbucks, right? Not a Starbucks. That's Elliot's favorite, but it's not my favorite. And then the other thing that I have to ask you about is the curtain on flights. Yeah, right, yeah. I, I need the explanation. Like it's the last thing on my list here. Yeah. Obviously I follow you. Yeah. I see everybody tagging you of like, Hey Sean, I'm on the right side of the curtain. <laughs> I'm on the wrong side of the curtain. Yeah. The curtain's so far away. Yeah. I need the explanation here. Man. So, you know, it just, <laughs> it ends up obviously, you know, I travel plenty um, and I have status with the airline, um, but I have, I have just enough status where I get a good seat right behind the curtain. <laughs> I don't have enough status where I'm on the right side of the curtain. So okay. somehow I always end up in the seat right in front of the curtain, just facing it for the entire. So you got day. a little bit of extra leg room, but it, none of the first. That's, flat. that's exactly right. That's exactly right. So um, for whatever reason, I end up in that seat every single flight, you know, and um, yeah, it's, it's kind of turned into a thing now and uh, it's, it's been great. I really love it. I'm happy for my friends that are on the right side of the curtain. Um, I empathize with my friends that are on the same side of the curtain as me. Um, and we'll, we'll do our best to continue fighting the power with that. So let folks know where they can follow the curtain chronicles and everything else you're doing before. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Instagram is uh, Sean Madden underscore striking. And then uh, Twitter is Sean M striking. Um, so yeah, I'm on both of those platforms. Come follow me on fight night on Twitter. I usually watch the the fights and, and put my opinion out there. And then on Instagram, yeah, come follow me there as well, too. I say it just about every every week that we are sitting watching fights together. Go follow Sean. He is brilliant. You've seen it here. I appreciate the time, my friend. I'm glad we were able to do this. Enjoy the non-Starbucks coffee today. <laughs> thank good, you. And just good. real quick before we close out, uh, you know, I want to thank you for giving me the platform, too. I enjoy our conversations all the time. Um, thank you for letting me be a part of the Coaches Conversation Series. That's been really valuable not only to read those, if you guys don't read those and follow those, please pay attention to those because there's really high level coaches giving out some fantastic insight on those fights. I learn a lot from the ones that I'm not participating in. Um, and the ones that I get to participate in have been a lot of fun too. So please pay attention to those.
I appreciate that. We uh, we may have to have a conversation here when we end the recording about a certain BMF title fight that's coming up that we're going to do a special <laughs> yeah, one for. Because we can't because we can't let that fight go by, even though it's not a real title. Yeah, we can't let that fight go by without without talking to some people it's, it's about it. It's too good not to. Yeah. For Sean, I'm Spencer. This has been a conversation with. Thank you for tuning in. We'll see you next time.